we're kind of interested in the fact that her story hasn't been retold all that much. It doesn't. And, and, you know, she, I don't even know where to begin with Cassandra. She, Danielle, do you have, uh, she's the, just very basic. She's the sister of Hector and she, the legend goes that she is, sees the truth. She's a, she, she's a prophetess, a seer, but she is because of an incident in her younger years, she is cursed to basically never, um, nobody believes the truth that she tells. And so there's a lot of different versions of that, basically knowing and being able to do nothing. Welcome to the Friends and Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Four New York Times bestselling authors, one rock star librarian, and endless stories. Join Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, and Patty Callahan Henry, along with Ron Block. As novelists, we are four longtime friends with 70 books between us. And I am Ron Block. Please join us for fascinating author interviews and insider talk about publishing and writing. If you love books and are curious about the writing world, you are in the right place. Welcome to this week's episode of the Friends in Fiction Writer's Block podcast. I am Ron Block. We know that retelling the Greek mythologies is having a moment these days, and it's become one of our very favorite topics on the podcast, especially when we read a new feminist take on a long-held tradition. Our guests today have elevated this approach to create a stunning work that my co-host today exclaimed, you'll never see the old stories the same way again. Horses of Fire is an immersive and sensory experience of page-turning adventure. And joining me today is none other than Patty Callahan Henry, author of the recent instant New York Times bestseller, The Secret Book of Flora Lee. Hi, Patty. Hi, I am Patty Callahan Henry, and I am so looking forward to our guests today. So I'm going to tell you a bit about the authors, Danielle Stinson and Ashley Cowles, who collectively are writing as A.D. Ryan. I'm going to be asking them why first thing. So these authors are united together by a dear and long friendship. They were both raised as military brats, childhood friendship spanning two decades with a love of classical literature. They're total slackers because Ashley holds graduate degrees in medieval history from the University of St. Andrews and theological studies from Duke University, while Danielle holds a Master of Arts in Law and Diplomacy from Tufts University. This, their adult debut, Horses of Fire, is the first book in an epic duology about the Trojan War, and it is the story they have always dreamt of writing together. So I am so happy to have both of you here. Welcome. Thank you so much, Patty. Thank you, Patty. We're delighted to be here. So, you know, I love this book because the minute I finished it, I wrote to you and offered a blurb. But before we dive into this story, I need to know, and so do our listeners, where the name A.D. Rhine. And for those of you who aren't, it's not in front of you. It's Rhine, R-H-I-N-E, A.D. Rhine. Where did that come from as your nom de plume? Well, we met in Germany when we were 15 years old, and we were living on a U.S. military base um, where both of our fathers were stationed. And so we wanted to come up with a pen name that kind of, you know, referenced our, our 
friendship, our personal history. And so the Rhine River um, seemed ah. like a good choice. <laughs> and then 80 Rhine just sounded very had a historical ring to it. So is the AD stand for anything or just like AD BC? Well, just Ashley and Danielle. And then it just was a bonus that AD gives it that kind of historical edge. So I love Destiny. it. I love That's it. great. Destiny. It, I yes. Agree. Yes, it is. Okay. Before we meet the women of the novel, I want to talk about the inspiration behind the novel. I know that you two came together during the pandemic to write this as old friends. And holy moly, between the two of you and your history and your education, this book seems like it was destined to be. As you say, you have an epic friendship and writing partnership that was 20 years in the making. You've also said that this is a love letter to friendship, to the things unseen, and to heroes who are too often invisible. Please tell us how it all came about and about your vow on a fire escape in 2001. Oh my goodness. Yes, that's a great question. We uh, we have been thinking about, so we met so young and we were united by the stories because, you know, we were very, very cool in high school. You know, not everybody wants, <laughs> Aren't to, we all? <laughs> wants to sit next to your best friend and read Tolkien for an entire summer, which we absolutely did. But we, we knew, always knew that we were both just inspired by stories. And then when we both started writing, we started writing at the same time. And uh, we knew early on that we wanted to do a, a version of Troy because it was the thing that we felt that we knew, um, not only because we had personal connections to it. Like one of my earliest memories of my father, for example, is reciting Sing to Me Muses of the Wrath of Achilles. Wow. So, yeah, oh so, so we have both have, you know, and Ashley taught it in high schools Like we both have um, history with the material, but it was the it was it was sort of the the gaps there because we felt like so many parts of the, which is, it's a war story. It's not necessarily a pro-war story, but we felt that there, there were places like when we are briefly see the women in the Iliad that we were like, this feels like where our life would fit in this book, but they were voids. And we thought to ourselves, like we saw our own invisibility as kids sometimes, because when you're, you're a kid living on a military base, you know, in Europe or around the world, you know, there's not a lot of people that really know what you're doing there. It just feels sometimes that you're slipping through the cracks under the radar. And we thought mm. to ourselves, like, how would the women of Troy feel if they knew that their story had been told again and again? But we always get a heavily Greek perspective because Homer was, you know, he was a Greek. And we thought to ourselves, this is something that we can speak to both as children and also then as we got older and had our, you know, like my husband was in the military. We, we thought that we could bring something to it that was uniquely ours, that was based on friendship, on sisterhood. Um, and that's a really long answer for your really, really, really yeah. question. No, no I need so to interesting. hear. No, that, that's exactly what I wanted to know. And there's no too long an answer for us. But actually, yeah. then you get to tell us about your vow on a fire escape. Yes. So uh, we actually both, uh, our, our fathers were stationed back in the States um, on the eve of our senior year of high school. And we ended up moving at the same, like the same week. Um, and so when you're out of your military housing, you often stay in a guest house. Um, and so we, we did, we, we snuck out, we were both very emotional and <laughs> getting ready to get on flights back to the U S very unhappy about having to move our senior year. Um, we had found a really strong group of friends and really loved living in Germany. Um, and yeah, Danielle and I, we've always had this bond. I think we're both like idealist and kind of romantics at heart. Um, and so just this, that sense of like, we will always, 
no matter where we go, we will stay connected. We will stay friends. Um, we, we really haven't lived together in the same state since. Um, except for Durham. One brief year in North Carolina <laughs> during grad school. And, uh, but be, you know, we have, we've managed to stay, stay connected on opposite sides of the country, sometimes opposite sides of the world. Um, and I think we, I, I remember, I visited Danielle once in DC and we were walking around the mall and just kind of brainstorming and talking about all these, we were like 18 years old and talking about what we wanted to do together in the future. And I think at the time we were thinking travel writing, we were going to travel around the world and oh, start, yeah. this is before blogs. So I, <laughs> I don't know how we were going to do that, but we were going to somehow do that together. Um, so I think we just, you know, the seeds of having some kind of creative partnership were planted very, very early and it was really connected to, I guess, some of the the challenges of our upbringing, um, and just you know those bonds that are forged in in difficult experiences. I love a ride awesome. or die friendship. It's the best, like especially forged in childhood because um, you get to know all the versions of each other, and I love that. So let's dive into the story for a minute. So not for a minute, for a while. This is an epic retelling of the women of Troy and the Trojan War. But of course, it is so much more. Before we dive in even deeper, I would love you to briefly introduce the women. So Danielle, mm -hmm. would you please introduce Rhea and Andromache? Absolutely. So Andromache is the she is the fierce wife protector. Um, she is in our version. She is Louian princess who comes to Troy with, you know, in the love match, but also with a very specific purpose and the purpose that everybody's expecting her to be the mother of the heir of Troy. And so there is that expectation on her, but in her heart and because of her training as an Amazon and her ideas about the world and her place in it, she wants more than that. Um, so that is Andromache. Uh, and Rhea is a Phrygian refugee. So she was born in the Hittite Empire. So we get a little of the great power politics of yeah. the time. And she, uh, her farm is burnt, her horse farm is burnt, burnt to the ground. And she ends up um, a, a slave, a captive. And she finds her way to Troy where she tries to, to carve out a home and a place for herself, like what she lost. Uh, look, I have chills again. Okay. Yeah. So Ashley, we're going to get into this story. Introduce me. If you were at a dinner party and you said, Patty, this is Helen. This is the woman who was blamed for the war. This is the Helen whose face launched a thousand ships. What would you say? How would you introduce Helen? I would say Helen is the name that everybody knows, but perhaps the woman that nobody really knows. Um, oh, I like she, that. Yeah. Yeah. She, it, there's been lots of retellings. There's been lots of interpretations mm -hmm. of her story. Um, I think when we approached her character, I think one of the things that really stuck out to both of us is just thinking about Helen as a mother, because that's not really an angle that we've really seen explored. Um, and, you know, asking ourselves, she has a nine-year-old daughter. Would she really just get on a ship and leave her forever? Um, and that was, I think, kind of the, the starting point for thinking about who Helen might be. Um, in our version of the story, she has some other gifts that aren't necessarily recognized. She's a healer, um, of course, a skilled weaver, which is something that is really highlighted yeah. in the Iliad. Um, but we, we saw her as a, this creative, interesting woman who had um, another side of the story to tell. 
Oh, those are the best. Okay, then a tiny bit about a fourth woman that we meet, um, one of my favorites. Um, when she showed up, I almost cheered. And that is Cassandra. <laughs> For people who don't know who she is, can you just give a, a, a hint of her mythological story? Yes. Um, so Cassandra, she is perhaps one of the most tragic characters in the Iliad. I mean, there's a lot of tragic figures, but um, yeah, we were kind of interested in the fact that her story um, hasn't been retold all that much. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, she, oh, I don't even know where to begin with Cassandra. She Danielle, do you have a... She's just very basic. She's the sister of Hector. And she, the legend goes that she is, sees the truth. She's a, she, she is a prophetess, a seer, but she is because of an incident in her younger years, she is cursed to basically never, um, nobody believes the truth that she, that she tells. And so there's a lot of different versions of that, basically knowing and being able to do nothing, uh, are, are her... Is her yeah. curse. I, yeah. you know, I, yeah. I've always been fascinated by her, her myth because the, the idea that you get what you want, you get to be able to see and know, but nobody believes you. Nobody will listen to you. And, um, sometimes that's exactly what it feels like to be a woman. So <laughs> doesn't it? Yeah. True. Yeah. That, yeah. that, we, that struck us too. We were like, hmm, yeah, there, hmm. it's an old ding, ancient ding, ding, tale. Ding. It's an yes. old myth, but how much truth is it and how much truth remains after? Right, right. It's yep. still happening today. So, Well, in Greek mythology, the Trojan War was waged against the city of Troy by the Achaeans. I hope I got that right. After Paris of Troy took Helen from her husband, Menelaus, king of Sparta. The war is one of the most important events in Greek mythology, and it has been narrated through many, many works of Greek literature, most notably Homer's Iliad. Some say it's history and others say it is myth. A never-ending debate for sure. So let's talk about the epic Trojan War for the uninitiated, explain what that means, and the time period. All right. So we... We fall on the history side of the mythology versus history. And for the ancients, they all assume that this was real. So people living thousands of years ago, they're like, oh, yeah, Troy, that totally happened. And it wasn't until more recently that people are like, oh, that is just pure mythology. So we now we've swung back around and we think that this might have actually happened or some sequence of events that inspired it around the year 1200 BCE. And it was when the Greeks or the Achaeans um, came to Troy, which was basically, um, it's, it's in Anatolia. So in Turk, in modern day Turkey, and they fought for what was supposed supposedly over a woman. But as any, as any student of history will tell you is probably power and natural resources and other things. And so that's what really what interested us. And also just as a slight nerd aside, because you can edit this out <laughs> if you want, but I can't, I can't help myself. It's such a fascinating period of history, the late bronze age, because this is when this part of the world, like all the great civilizations just collapsed and they went into this dark Greek, when it, Greece went to a dark age. And it isn't until hundreds of years later that the supposed, you know, the poet Homer supposedly wrote down the, what had been carried down the oral tradition. That was the Trojan war, uh, the Iliad. So it's like this, the, the face of the world looked completely different. And we were thinking to ourselves, why Troy? Why this story? Why this, this moment that has lasted forever? It's because this was such a huge, it was a, it was like a microcosm. It was a, it's the word I'm looking for. 
It was a turning point. It was a turning point and it it changed the world forever. So yeah, yeah, they're going to remember it. And we were really interested in, you know, showing the Anatolian side of the story since we do get the story through Homer, you know, the, the Greek side, um, we really wanted to explore the cultures, the history, um, that, that might have the people that might have actually existed at that time, um, which, you know, Homer doesn't really get into, um, the actual, other cultures that were around at that time. So that was something else we really wanted to explore and also, you know, think about how would this war have actually been fought realistically? That was both really interesting to us as well. Um, and, you know, the Iliad is a few days at the very end of the war. And we really wanted to kind of back up a little bit, rewind and say, well, what, what were some of, what was going on for 10 years? (laughs) Like what were some of the things that are leading up to all those moments that we know from the story? So that's really what we tried to get into in Horses of Fire. And then in the second book of the duology, Daughters of Bronze, we kind of get into the, the scenes that people will recognize from the Iliad a bit more. Okay. Nice. I know. I So the setting, whole, I mean, you knew it inside and out. I said this to y'all when I read it. I felt the dust in my mouth, right? The pound of the horse's hooves, the blazing sun, the beauty of the land. So talk to us about the research you did for the original setting of Troy. Is there a place where you think you can pin it on the map? Is there mm-hmm. debate about the true location? So... At this point, and there's always a debate, but it is many people accept the fact that Hisarlik in Turkey, which is, you know, a ruin, is where Troy happened. There was a lot of, uh, there have been excavations of it. And so in our rendering of the city, we took those architectural, those archaeological findings and we sort of, we, obviously we embellished and we, but we, we use that. So the map at the beginning of our book is actually based on a the, real map. What we, a real map and so that was that was fun because neither <laughs> one of us is really awesome. great at maps or directions but we spend a lesser research yes we spend a lot of time doing that and we um i mean just there was a lot of research that went into it because we wanted to we're never going to say that we got everything right because we know we didn't this is impossible but we really wanted to make it as true as we could and immersive, which is the word I used. But when I was looking at the map, it was so helpful to me to pull, you know, this kind of up here myth down to the earth, down to a piece of mm-hmm. land, which is what you do by describing what the trees, what it smelled like, what it tasted like. Did you feel any trepidation? I want you both to answer this about approaching such hallowed Land. I know it was destined. I know. I mean, in my own life, I've approached subjects in books that I have felt were hallowed and I was terrified. That didn't mean I didn't want to do it or it wasn't destined. Did you feel any trepidation approaching this land? I mean, I'll speak for myself. You know, I've I've uh studied history and, you know, at at the graduate level. And so approaching a period of history that's mostly archaeological, mostly prehistory, pre-written history, um, is a little bit intimidating because I can't point to things and say, here's the citation of, you know, what's... Here's the footnote. Yes, of what, how people dressed, 
we don't really know that. Um, and so we were, we're making the best educated guesses we could on a lot of those cultural details. Um, but there was a lot that we were able to find, um, through the archaeological evidence. Um, and just really exciting because it hasn't really been explored. So yes, it was intimidating, but it, it also, um, felt like something where we had like an opportunity to, to kind of remind people that there was, there were these other other cultures around at that time. I probably should have been more intimidated, but I don't really think about uh, it. Love honestly, it. <laughs> yeah. I was just Dive so right I was just into the deep end with no floaties because the thing that was so cool is when you think about Homer was you know supposedly recorded this hundreds of years after the event. He didn't even know, so we're basing things on a yeah. lot of a lot of the mythological uh, takes are, are you know they focus on Homer. But we thought to ourselves, like, how, how does this dude really know? You know, he's also taking stories. So there is such a freedom. It's such a free to be like, well, nobody really will ever know. And if you commit to the fact that this happened and you're, you're using these characters and there is such, it, it really let us wonder what if the movers and the shakers of this whole deal, like in our own lives, we've seen maybe the, maybe the women are the, the whys behind all the what's. And that kind of let us. Yeah, it, it kind of took, it let us go to places that we probably would not have gone if we had been too, if we thought too hard about it, maybe. Too scared. So what it's I always good. say is that I, 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 when that came to me in, in any subject I'm writing about, I think I'll worry about that later. A little bit of scarlet. I'll worry about that tomorrow. And then <laughs> I'm done and it's finished and the book is out. And then I'm like, wow, maybe I shouldn't have approached that hallowed ground. So. I'm really glad you did. It was absolutely amazing. So, I have one more thing that I just thought of. Sorry, my brain, is, it's past 5 p.m. So I'm, I'm all over the place. You're good. Yeah. You're but good. The thing that we wanted to be really authentic about it is the thing that we thought that we could bring to it that maybe was unique to us, which is like we've lived with the, you know, the farewell scene between Hector and Andromache, which we don't get till Daughters of Bronze, but there were these hallmark moments that we felt like we could bring our own life experience. And we wanted to capture the truth of the emotions in those moments and that is what that. we were so dedicated to to portraying to the best of our ability. Yeah, I'll just add to that too. I think that's when you when you read the original Iliad, that's what's so striking is this story is thousands of years old. And the first time I read that scene in book six of the Iliad with Hector and Andromache, the farewell scene, it felt like it, was, it gave me chills because it is like, the same as how we said goodbye to our fathers as they're getting ready oh, wow. to, to, to go to war and how human and timely. I mean, it felt it that, yeah, that is definitely the thing the emotional kind of core that mm -hmm. drew us into, to this historical period, to this uh, mythological event, And that, that was kind of the angle we thought we could um, touch on that maybe others hadn't. Love well, it. I think you did more than touch on it. So one of the things I'm loving <laughs> yeah. about talking to you is just the passion for this story and the passion for conveying this story. So it's just, it's just coming across. And of course, now I want to start reading the book all over again. But let's talk a little bit about the women as they fight for their lives and their children and their world. Um, you've kind of nailed it a little bit, but it's such a sensory experience and so deeply realized. And we can now tell where it came from. It's been written over and over that this novel is a fresh take on classic themes. What do you each believe is meant by classic themes? Danielle? 
I'm going to throw this one to Ashley because she was just saying something extremely brilliant along these lines the other day. So I know, I know she's going to nail this one. I, I hope I know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, but no, I, I think, you know, the Iliad is, is the war story. It's, it's held up as the warrior story. And so I think we wanted to, like one of the lines in the book is every woman is a warrior. Um, so we wanted to, you know, take that classic theme of this being the quintessential war story or warrior story and say, what, what does that mean for the women who were behind the walls of Troy? How were they fighting this war? Um, there must have been, they must have had some kind of contribution or they're, they're, they must have felt like this fight was as meaningful to them because they're the ones sending their sons, their husbands um, out to the battlefield. So how, you know, how, how did they contribute? And it really reminded us of our own mothers. You know, our mothers were military spouses and um, we know what they experienced what, during deployments and, um, you know, the, the camaraderie on a military base between um, the spouses who are, who are left behind. And so I think, that was a way we could take that classic theme and ask how did, how might it apply um, from the women's perspective? Yep. That goes to what I was saying earlier about taking it from your own life and digging in and telling an amazing story. Did you identify with one character more than the other? Well, during the pandemic, I felt myself devolving into Cassandra at the total line at five, uh. 6 PM on a Friday. Ashley remembers that phone call. There are mm. moments of, of e uh, there are things in each of the characters I'll speak for myself that I feel. And I think too, the way we approach the story, because we waited so long to write it, we brought things to it that if when we just envisioned, we just had the idea, if we had started writing, then it would be a very different story because mm. we needed to become mothers. And, you know, saying goodbye to your dad is a little bit different than saying goodbye to your husband, which is something that actually was my call after that happened. 10 days after I got mm. married, my husband was in Afghanistan. And so there are different things that you see things different ways. So I feel like there are parts of us, even our friendship at different stages of our lives and it just has so happened that we were able to put it all together and to find, to remember those feelings when we sat down to wrote, to write, to write, I can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it seems like there's the right time to do it. And I would just say in drama key, probably, um, oh, because wow. okay. be, for, in a very specific way, um, I, I was pregnant with my, my son when we were writing, um, and oh. during, during 2020. So during the lockdown, um, Ooh. getting ready to have a baby during the pandemic. So there was a lot of anxiety or just around that. Um, and so I know that that was a big part of, of my process is writing about motherhood. And we see that more in Andromache's story in the second book. Um, but that was something that really, um, was on my mind and heart a lot. And just thinking about, you know, women have always experienced sending your child into a dangerous, <laughs> challenging world. Um, and so thinking about Andromache doing that in a war situation, whereas we were, you know, dealing with a global pandemic and, um, you know, seeing school shootings on the news, just all kinds of very contemporary parallels, um, that that kind of fear, both fear and fierce love around being a mother um, was something that um, really spoke to me during the writing process. Oh, Very and, cool. And probably you would have identified with somebody else more so if you weren't writing during the pandemic. Right? It's so 
Um, a book is more than a product of its story. It's the product of our time that we wrote it. So mythology is the foundation of so many of our stories. You've both studied it. We know that, um, you know, people say things that they don't even realize are part of a myth or they read a retelling and don't know it's a retelling. Why do you think in the past, I'd say five years, there is such a resurgence of mythological retellings? So I thought a lot about this and I don't know if I have the answer, but I have some theories. And I think it's because when we talk about myths, what we're really talking about is ways that people throughout time have understood their own history. So there mm -hmm. is a connection between mythology and history. And I think actually in your brilliant book, Patty, when you were talking about mythology and you were saying it was like it's birth, death and rebirth. So there yes. are these things that unite us throughout all time. And I think it's the back to your question about what is it, what it is, what does it mean to be a classic theme? It's about what it fundamentally means to be human and how we connect ourselves to the larger story. Right. And so that is something that I think we are starting to, I don't know whether it's because it's because of the times or we are moving in a direction. We're trying to, to fit these things into place. And it's really exciting to be writing about it and to see, to see it in the more public awareness, because yeah, there are reasons that these stories have been around for forever, that these myths endure. Yep. How about you? Well, I think, I mean, the fact that there are a lot of these are feminist retellings or featuring women um, maybe points to the fact that the characters in the myth were always archetypal. They were always, they always had a presence, even, you know, even if they weren't given many lines, even if they didn't get as much screen time as maybe the heroes of the story, there was something mm. memorable about, about these women. And um, so I think that is just, you know, it's, it's fertile ground for, for novelists to, to think that this is a strong character. Cassandra is a memorable mythological character and even if we don't hear too much from her in the in the original there's so much there and you can just you can sense it um, and so I think that that is maybe another contributing factor to why we're seeing so many um, you know women's centric retellings especially good answer and I, I think it's so important for us to read them too, because I know that my own, we last year, I think it was, we had Natalie Haynes on who gave this almost the exact same description of why they're important. And it just really, boom, sparked in my head. These stories got left on the floor because they were told by the men and they left all, they didn't want to expose the women's side of the stories. So I also think that we're trying to, um, make meaning of our times and mm -hmm. mythology has always been one of the ways we right. make meaning. Right. And so as we turn to the women's stories in there, they're finally here to tell us some things they were there to tell us all along. So. Absolutely. I love that. That's so true. Yeah. It, it makes them a more complete picture of what the world really was like. Yeah. Um, so, okay. Fighting games time. What is your favorite myth, Danielle? Oh my goodness. I do. I do. So I have a particular connection to um, the Iliad and even the Iliad, the founding of Rome. I, uh, I studied Italian literature. And so I do really, I don't know, there's a lot of personal experiences that I've had, things that I've read that I just, I love it. And I mean, they're very different. It's a very, they're two very different stories, but I, I do find myself gravitating to both of those just because I loved reading them. And I read them at times in my life where they meant a lot to me. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, Ashley, what about your favorite? Well, this is going to be a shock, but <laughs> Danielle stole my answer. <laughs> yes, I would have to say, and it's not very original, but the the Iliad and also the Aeneid. Um, I was a classics teacher and a high school teacher for a few years and read those with my students. And just those were the two favorite of all the all the myths that we read and just kind of seeing their reactions to them um, was, yeah, they're definitely my top two. Great. Awesome. Well, I'll put you on the spot, Patty. What's yours? Oh, wow. I think I have a tie. Um, and then it changes when I read another one and another one. But um, Persephone has always been mm. one of my all-time favorites for many reasons. But also Persephone is the um, goddess of spring. Um, and my birthday is on the first day of spring. So Persephone has always been my girl. And then I love Orpheus and Eurydice. Except I always want the end to change, and it never does. But I've always been enchanted by that story, and I want to scream, "Don't turn around!" <laughs> but um, only you got to you got to rewrite it. You got it. That's right. It's it's yours to rewrite. There you go. Oh, I know. There you go, I'm Patty. I'm going to write the Orpheus and, and Eurydice where he does not turn around um, and what happens to them. And maybe he should have turned around all along. But anyway, that, that, those are my two favorites. They're so. awesome. They're all great. Okay. So I know this is book one and uh, we've talked about how thrilled we are that there is a book two coming. Can you tell us about it? Yes. Yeah, so in Daughters of Bronze, we get the sort of at the conclusion to the tale. So we've been all the places, all the things that we set up really come to fruition and you, you get some of those really big moments. But what we really wanted to do is to say, you think you know the story, but if Homer didn't really know it because he wasn't there, maybe we don't know it at all. And that is like, we want you to know that we're going to be changing something. We're going to be surprising you in some way, but you just have to read it to find out how. Yeah. Ooh, okay. And that it was, we, we did, we really tried to keep those touch point, moments from the original that people love and know. Um, but we did, there are some twists. It, it's, it's again, what Danielle was saying, like what was going on behind the scenes to actually make those events happen the way that they mm -hmm. happened. Mm -hmm. um, so that was a lot of fun. Yep. Okay. As an author, I have to ask this before we wind down. It's hard enough to write a book. Um, you know, I'm in the middle of one. I'm in the sloggy middle of a new one. How in the world did you do this together? Logistically, what did, how did you do it? I'm curious. Was it Google Docs? Were you emailing? Did you divide up characters? How did you logistically write this book together and make it so seamless that you can't tell, you know, that it's been, that two people wrote it? We did break Google Docs um, multiple, so, multiple times. So we used Google Docs. That was the the you know technically how we did it. Um, apparently, if a file gets too large, it starts to corrupt. Um, so we, oh my gosh, I didn't know that. Why? Yes, to anyone listening? Yes. So when you originally write one you know three hundred thousand word novel, it can be a problem. Um, but we figured you know we figured out the the technical side and. Uh, it was definitely a learning experience. You know, I don't think uh, we could have done it with anyone else. <laughs> um, nope. And definitely, you know, humbling at times, having to have a lot of grace. Um, but so fun. Um, and 
so many phone calls where we were, you know, would just be talking for like an hour and a half um, and having bouncing ideas off of each other and really kind of feed, you know, creativity feeding off, off of um, the other person's creativity. And um, yeah, it was, it was probably the most fun writing experience I've ever had. Definitely. It was, I think the way we thought we were going to do it is completely different than the way that we, we, we yes. ended up doing it. Oh, so we were like, Oh yeah, we'll create voices and we'll do this. And it doesn't end up working out that way because we realized that there were so many times where we were pushing each other to be as good as we could be, that we wouldn't, we wouldn't have been able to do it on our own. And I feel like there were, there were moments where our brains were so connected that we were doing things. It it felt so maybe because we'd known each other. It felt like magic. <laughs> nice. It felt like actual magic where our themes were overlapping. And I think that's a big thing is you can write differently than a part. We write our writing, our writing um, processes are very different. But we, you can, you can have all these things that are, that are unique to you. But when you're writing something like this, you have to be aligned in the type of story that you want to write. Like our, our beliefs and the things that we're trying to, to say were the same. And I think that that's what let it feel like we were writing from one voice. And at the point after we created the characters, they became alive to us. And we, it, it didn't matter who was doing that moment or that scene or even that line of that paragraph. We felt like they were telling us what to say, what to do. And it it was really, it was the coolest. And I got to do it with my bosom friend. It was awesome. (laughs) That's awesome. You guys make me think of the uh, Irish word, um, Anamkara, soul friend. You you, you two seem to be uh, Anamkaras. So, all right, before we let you go, I need to tell everyone that you're not only to get this book immediately, but your website has maps and info and backstory. So before we let you, can you tell everyone where to find you, find more information? Well, you, you can find us at adryan.com. And we do, we have a map that readers can download if they want their own copy to kind of blow up on the computer and, you know, scout out all the locations we're talking about because it does get a little complex and epic at times. Um, and then we also have a book club guide. So readers can download that as well. Uh, if you would like to read uh, with a book club. And we're on Instagram and TikTok where, you know, especially we, we make semi, semi-regular fools of ourselves because neither one of us are naturally gifted to social media. And we realize that the only way we can do it is just... To together it, just to let it let it all so <laughs> let you, it fly we, let it fly <laughs> and everything is done in one take it gets a little hairy but it's you know if you want to connect with us we love hearing from readers writers we were readers before we were ever writers and it's just that's one of the things that we love about social media is the ability to to, to connect with people so yeah find us that's awesome. Ter- awesome all right well thank you both for joining us today it's been fascinating talking with you about your work and your backgrounds. And I hope we get to do this again, because I feel like we're just kind of scratching the surface here. Yeah. Yeah. Best of luck with the book. Thank you. This has been such an honor, such a pleasure. It's been just wonderful. We really really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Yay. And once again, thank you to our supporters and listeners for tuning in. Our Friends in Fiction family continues to grow, and so much of that is due to you all. Please keep spreading the word. If you want to purchase a copy, though, of our guest book today, Horses on Fire, and you know you do, please visit the Friends in Fiction bookshop.org page to support indie bookstores. 
We hope you'll join us next week. Thank you for tuning in to the Friends in Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. Tune in every Friday for another episode. And you can also join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live Friends and Fiction show airs at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We are so glad you're here.